3: Talk autism with Shannon and Nancy I am Nancy
1: Allspot Jackson and I am Shannon Penrod and so grateful to be here with my good friend Nancy
3: I am how so are you good. my
1: friend. I'm good hun. how are you I'm good I, I was very preoccupied this morning I you know I think because a lot of us have in our mind that there's a little bit of a break this weekend I think my brain was treating today like Saturday.
3: I I thought yesterday was Friday all day. You know, it looks like my camera's a little fuzzy. I'm wondering if I should clean it off. Oh, it,
1: it looks like the Doris Day filter.
3: <laughs> then I'll keep it. You know I'll how they just
1: always put Vaseline on the, the lens for Doris Day? Exactly. And so Let me see if I I'll can just
3: it. hold on. Bear with me for a minute.
1: We're keeping it real here. We're cleaning there the we lens. There we go. There yeah, we I go.
3: My uh, six-year-old face was digging that for a minute. But... <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: you still look beautiful, but it was. It looked very Doris Day, like that very glowy Rock Hudson sort of uh, thing that you had going on. Right. Um, Maybe I should have kept it. No, 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 no. You still look stunning. Uh, you always look stunning. So Thank you, honey. Wonder, I have no idea what that was. So, I, I you know, I, I, my favorite thing to do, Nancy, is to craft. And I know you you're an artist. I don't consider yes. myself an artist. I craft.
3: I used to craft I used to make homemade wreaths and potpourries and all kinds of things. I did that it was it's been many years now but I I went through a craft stage. I mean I was no Martha Stewart you're and I was no I was no Shannon Penrod because I'm right. telling you Shannon is no Martha Stewart but that I table that tabletop there? you did Shannon was
1: I, I stunning. The but this you know I'm all into potion bottles for Halloween. So I've been taking, like, water bottles. This was a maple syrup bottle. Oh. And I made, I made a, a nebula in a jar, Put a, slapped a label on it, and then I, I made this uh, clay rose that I'm going to decay. It's not done. But this morning I was so distracted because I was painting this snake. This is a water bottle, and I was painting the snake. So that's what really? I was doing this morning.
3: Well, I can say it's move over,
1: Martha. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. But, it, like, it's so... I just want to put it out there to all of our families that are feeling the stress. I know it was really hard in the years when my son needed a great deal of care to find a, an hour to craft. But, you know, sometimes that's what I had to ask people to do is come and sit with him for an hour so I could go scrapbook or something. And it was very healing. Um, Cause your brain gets to fuzz out. It's like a form of meditation.
3: It is. I think uh, painting uh, which I have done in my past. I haven't painted lately. Pottery, yeah. crafting, cooking—there are so many things that we can do that are like a living meditation. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us to take time for ourselves. That's something as autism parents we often don't do. Now that our sons are older, we have more time, obviously but um, we encourage all of our viewers to do that for themselves.
1: But it's gotta be the thing that you like. Like some people like to knit, some people like to crochet, some people like to doodle. Doodling is a big thing right now. You can doodle in mandala and and they even have those uh, adult coloring books and if you like coloring books are absolutely wonderful. And they have some that have meditations. Now I am too impatient to do adult coloring books. So I have an app on my phone. It's the stupidest silliest thing. It's a free app where I can color uh, and I can choose my colors, what I want to color. It's like a paint by number, but you choose your colors. But I just tap the color and then tap the thing because I'm growing arthritis in my hands. So to color for that long hurts me. Very meditative, free. Uh, so a wonderful thing to do. In any case, uh, we digress. I digress. But um, we we have a, one news story that I want to cover. And we have Vince Redmond, who's going to be here with us to talk about something very important. Um, But we have to start off, and I've been telling everybody all week that we were kind of saving. We talked a little bit about the passing of Ed Asner, but we wanted to save the lion's share of it, Nancy, um, because I know you loved him, I loved him, and we wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to talk about this amazing, amazing man uh, in all of our lives really in everyone's life around the world, because somebody watched something that he was in, or they were a part of the autism community. So I I know you've got some stories you want to tell. Talk to us about. I do.
3: I just want to say the whole world has been rocked by the death of Ed Asner, not just the entertainment community, which is obviously feeling a huge loss, but the autism community has been rocked by his passing Uh, and, I think it's the measure of the man that there have been so many tributes uh, pouring in. I mean, social media has been full of them. Um, Matt, his son, has been posting amazing remembrances of his father. And uh, I do have a couple of stories. First, I want to say about, talk about a cartoon I saw. I think Matt posted it. It was a picture of the infamous balloon, and house from up with ed flying up and there were several angels on a cloud that said look ed asner's here which i thought was just beautiful absolutely beautiful um anyway the first time i met ed was at it was at a film screening an autism film and the first time i met him in person and um I loved him as Lou Grant and Mary Tyler Moore as so many people did. And I love the famous scene, the famous line where he says to Mary, you've got spunk. I hate spunk. So when I met him, I said, Ed, would you please say that to me? And he said, Nancy, you've got spunk. I hate spunk. And I have to tell you every time I saw him after that, which was quite a few times, he said those lines to me. And it was always accompanied by a bear hug and a wink. Uh, because he was a love bug. I mean, he okay. was everybody, men, women, I think he kissed everybody.
1: Yes. <laughs> I think so too. It was, you know, he was a very affectionate man and uh, was you know, as you said, not afraid. He gave everybody a hug. The kids all loved him. It felt like in his later years that he was everybody's grandpa. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, I always judge people, you know, people can be so warm and so effusive. And then your kid walks into the conversation and I judge how people treat our kids both before they know they're on the spectrum and after they know they're on their spectrum. And Ed was... I just saw him with my own child and with everybody else's child. He was always kind and interested and would immediately, um, you know, start talking to the kids. I I think the first time my son ever met him, we were at one of his poker tournaments, and it was in LA, and it was on a very high floor, and I don't do elevators really well. And my son was with me, and I was sweating bullets. We got to the top, and it was these sheer glass windows, a whole wall of windows, and and I was just freaking out. I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this because the height was just so scary to me, and my son is a little bit height-phobic, too. And and Ed sort of saw that and immediately started, you know, trying to massage it out of my son and trying to make light of it and, and walking him closer to the window and going, you know, he, and he said like things that are any of the rest of us couldn't get away with. And that would be inappropriate. He was like, watch in any minute, a bird will hit and hit the window. Like he was saying things just to elicit a funny response from my son. Um, so anyway, I just, uh, I, I I loved that because he took the time with my son and I saw him do that over and over and over again.
3: Yeah. He had a real way with special needs kids. They loved him. He was like the Pied Piper. They were just drawn to him. And I think they were drawn to his essence. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know if we
1: have a clip we were, we were looking for a clip, um, yeah. Okay. So Traven says we do have the clip. I, I want to show this is a clip of you, Nancy, with Ed. Go ahead, Traven, and roll that.
0: All right. Mr. Asner, tell us about you, your...
4: You can call me Cuddles.
0: I can call you Cuddles. All right. Cuddles. Tell me about your connection to autism.
4: Well, I have a son who is autistic and I have a grandson who's autistic. So I tend to think I must be responsible.
0: Okay, and? And
4: doing everything I can to absolve myself of the sin.
0: All right, now what about parenthood? You have taken a real proactive role in getting the word out about autism and Asperger's on that show.
4: All right. The point is to just keep talking and drive our enemies. That's the the keepers of the uh, funds In city, state, and feds, drive them nuts until they fork over. Okay, that's the strategy. That's the strategy.
0: Okay, all right. Well, I want to make
4: them give till it hurts.
0: Okay. What do you think about the new numbers, one in eighty-eight,
4: and one in fifty-four for two boys? boys.
0: What do you think about those?
4: I think it's it's uh, uh, it's one of the few real assessments. Of our society that you can get these days Okay. Uh, as opposed to unemployment
0: now if you had to say anything to an autism dad out there a word of advice what would it be
4: celebrate
0: celebrate that's interesting do you see it as a blessing
4: it is it is if we lived in an autistic world it would be a more peaceful world if We lived in an autistic world it would be a patient world an understanding world a, uh, a reaching out world we would uh, we would extend ourselves and they in turn would be able to open up and impart the very special talent and knowledge that each autistic possesses.
1: How amazing. I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, we do need to say that that clip was from eight years ago. And so the numbers that he quoted were from eight years ago. And I just want to say, um, you know, there's another clip that we have been showing a lot this week of Ed talking about how, you know, he always felt that when his son was diagnosed and when, you know, his first grandson was diagnosed, he was like, I didn't really know is it autism or is it asnerism that he feels that, um, you know, as, as he kind of made light of in that clip that, um. You know, when he said, be absolved of the sin, I want to make sure that everybody realizes the later part of that conversation, he said what he really felt about autism, that it's remarkable and and amazing and something to be celebrated with. But when he was referring to the sin, it was of giving his genes and that, you know, the parts of him that his kids were like. So I just wanted to make clear. Trevon,
3: could you email me that clip? I'd like to have it for my. You need Watch to
1: have that. that. Yes. We, I'm so glad that he could find that clip. I am so uh, cause glad. It's a, Cause it's a really good clip of you and he, and the love that he had for you, Nancy. We have so, Helen.
3: We have Helen. Helen is with us.
1: Hi, uh, Helen. hi Helen. So great to have you here. Uh, so we just want to say to everybody uh, we're going to be talking with Vince in a little while. Everybody's had a little bit of grief and I, I would say a little bit of fear with uh, the passing of Ed Asner. I know I said to someone the other day, they were telling me that their child has been very weepy all this week. And, And I said to that person, I said, ah, you know, she's expressing through her emotions what we're all really feeling. And that it feels a little weird, and it feels a little wrong, and it feels like something massive is missing in that. And I said, you know, and it feels like maybe we're a little less safe. And then we talked through that and I said, you know, when we have elders in our community, then we all get to be in the place of we do and we, we strive and we do whatever, but every once in a while, we stop and we ask our elders and we look up to our elders and we look for them to shine the light and show us the way. And the truth of the matter is, is that, Ed was in the truest sense of a tribe, the elder of our community. He was a dad and a grandpa, and he had been in this community longer than most of the rest of us. And with his passing, I said it really is, I'm sure that Matt and Nava are feeling this very acutely, Um, it is the passing of a guard that now we are the elders, and it feels like our safety net, we have a little bit more responsibility and that there's a little bit more, oh, it's up to us now to carry the mantle forward. So, um, you know, I want to uh, empower all of us and to charge all of us to carry the mantle forward and to do what we can. I also want to say that if you're, if you're feeling bad, and sometimes it's really hard because you don't know what to do with the feelings. We're going to be talking with Vince about what to do with our feelings and how how to help language grief for our kiddos on the spectrum um, and how to deal with how they express their emotions uh, while they're dealing with it. But I do want to say, we talk about this all the time on the show, Nancy, that it's always great to do something for somebody else when you're feeling at a loss. It will make you it's an instant bump in your mood and it helps somebody else we are encouraging people to make donations to the ed asner a family center um and do it in ed's name mm-hmm. and it can be you know five dollars goes a long way when a bunch of people are sending five dollars so yeah, the I, I made
3: it i sent a card to matt and nava and made a donation in ed's name and you're right shannon paying it forward, doing something to honor him. And there's no better way to honor him than to make a donation to the Ed Asner family center. Um, they do amazing work with our kids. They have a summer camp. That's just fantastic. They have events. They have a support group for moms that I want to start going to. I know Shannon, you've been to that. Yeah. And, uh, they, they have so much going on. So the programs are really important to support.
1: And thank you, Traven. He's putting the, the web address up there, TEAFC, which stands for the Ed Asner Family Center.org. And you can make a donation on that page of any size. And uh, we encourage you to do that. It, like I said, no amount is too small. Nancy, I do want to address that um, someone, and I'm not going to say their name, has written in and they said, why do you push the gay agenda all the time? That's pretty shameful. Autism is what we're about, not sexual uh, immorality. And I, I just want to send that person a hug and say that we don't have an agenda other than to push, push the agenda of love, compassion, acceptance, and diversity um, for the entire autism community that we don't segment that uh, out. Um, if you feel that that's shameful, I'm so sorry that you won't be, uh, enjoying our show because we intend to push that agenda of love, acceptance, and diversity in all areas, uh, always that is what we're about. So we will miss you. I think if you stay, you'll find that, um, It's a pretty, I think that that's a wonderful agenda to be a part of. And we include in that agenda uh, our uh, LGBTQ and other members of the autism community uh, who need as much love and acceptance as anyone else.
3: Thank you, Shannon. That's very well said. And yeah, I was surprised to see that comment, in fact, because I certainly, not my experience that you push that agenda, Um, but I think saying we push the agenda of love and exclusivity for all. Um, Yes, absolutely. Without, without question.
1: And, um, you know, statistically we know that there is a, uh, in the autism community versus the neurotypical community, there is a higher percentage of individuals who will identify themselves as being LGBTQ or other. Um, so yeah, we're going to cover those stories Absolutely, now, now Absolutely. always, and we're going to do it joyfully and with love and acceptance. And if you're here for that, join us. And if you're not, I will send a hug for you, um, for you to enjoy your autism coverage other places, but come back when you're ready. Um, that's all I want to say. Uh, Bryn has said about helping others, uh, helping others, even by guidance and advice, even listening to fellow parents boosts our own selves. Uh, Bryn, I totally, I totally experienced that. Um, and they said also it's a mixed bag of all together to be addressed. Yes. Uh, talking about the other. Uh, so, Nancy, anything you want to share about that before we move on to our news story today?
3: No, let's let's move on. And okay. this first story, Shannon, I'm going to let you dive into this. It was a little, <laughs> a little oh, dense for me. Um, yeah. And I know you tend to, on the scientific uh, ABA side, whatever those more t- technical, I would call them, sides, you tend to have a little bit more understanding than I do. But the name of the article... And it is from Spectrum News, which always has great articles and you can find it. Uh, Validating autism subtypes, a crucial but often overlooked step in research. You want to dive into that, Shannon? Yeah,
1: I think it's a really interesting read, but it is pretty dense. And I'm not going to pretend that I understand all aspects of it. But the reason why I include stories like this is because the takeaway for me of this, I think, was huge. You know, we we've been saying ever since we've been friends, Nancy, that there's more than one type of autism. And I don't think that's news to anybody. I think that people uh, one of the first things somebody said to me is it really isn't autism anymore. It's autism's that there are different. You know, I mean, just look at our sons. We have sons that are about a year and a half apart age wise, but they are very different. People have always been very different. People are always going to be very different people just because they're people. But also the way that autism presents in both of them is very different as it's different from the friends that they have that are on the spectrum. So it's, I always feel like it's a disservice whenever we refer to people as, you know, as one clump of people, we always try to put the word spectrum in there to include that diversity within the community of autism, right? Right. Right. So, um, but in my lifetime, I thought it would not happen that we would be able to subtype autism and have these very distinct subtypes um, that would tell us here are the characteristics of this subtype of autism. And, And there are some people who really don't want autism to be segmented off. And this article addresses that the fact that um, there were a lot of people who felt that this was a negative thing,
3: correct? That it that it could be very divisive, yeah. and um, the um, they're now in the DSM uh, four, not uh, subtyping the them, correct? Yeah, so. yeah. So in the in the the
1: last one we have right now, the DSM five. Before five. that, right. yeah. It was the DSM four and the DSM four R, I think it was before that. But in the DSM five, they they did, in the DSM four they had you could be PDD NOS, you could have autism, classic autism, you could have Asperger's. Um, there were all these different designations, and in the DSM five, which came out like I think in two thousand thirteen, maybe they decided to do away, <laughs> excuse me, with all those subtypes. And instead, they put it all under the umbrella of autism spectrum disorder. And I think the goal was to, you know, stop this divisiveness about, well, I don't have autism, I have Asperger's, when it's all part of this continuum. But um, a lot of people were unhappy and said, you know, I've identified myself as Asperger's, you know, now you're saying that doesn't exist? Well, I exist. How can you say that, right? Um, and there was a growing interest in the scientific community of subtyping autism. In fact, we've covered on the show that the Center for Autism and Related, Related Disorders has been very much on the cutting edge of this, that CARD has been able to, using their skills program and partnering with another uh, a college in London, they've been able to subtype 17 distinct uh, autisms, shall we say, subtypes of autism, um, which their whole goal in doing that is to try to provide better treatment. So- right, and
3: I, Shannon, I find I found when the um DSM 5 got did away with the subtypes, I found that to be rather curious and and puzzling because certainly to compare my son or put him in the same bag as somebody that has Asperger's that is stre- extremely high functioning, that can um, go to college, hold a job that you know requires great skill, um, was just, th- that to me was puzzling that they decided to do that. Well, part of it
1: though, in their defense, part of it was we get into this division of people re- being referred to as high functioning, right? Because what is that? I don't even know what that means. And it's like is defined from person to person because someone can be considered high functioning and could be going to college and be, you know, their IQ can be off the chart. But the truth of the matter is, is their anxiety, if you move one thing on their desk, they cannot function. And so the idea was to say, we're going to get rid of these high functioning, you know, labels and really you know, delineate what you can do and what you can't do so that you could get help and support. That was sort of the thinking of it because there were a lot of people who had Asperger's who couldn't qualify for any help or support because they were like, look, you're working a job. And the person was saying, yeah, but I go home and curl into a ball at the end because the noise is such at work that I can't handle it and they couldn't get any support. So there were reasons behind, I think, and they were good intentions, but What I love about this article is that it brings up a really important aspect of autism research, which is people for years have been doing research and not being mindful of subtypes. And when they are subtyping, not being mindful about why that they're doing it. So stop and think about this. For years, they did research on the gluten-free, casein-free diet, And we would all look forward to the research that would show that for some kids, it's really beneficial. But the research would come back and it would go, no, it was insignificant. But if you delved into it, you found that 10 kids were studied and two of them made huge progress. But because eight didn't, they said, eh, it doesn't work. But perhaps it worked for the two because they had the type of, the subtype of autism that this was effective treatment for. Mm. So, you know, part of why I think we haven't gotten, we've made huge strides with autism, but we haven't gotten further is because when people do research, they just, oh, you have an autism diagnosis. You're part of the research study without looking at the subtypes. So part of what this article does is it seeks to destigmatize the subtypes and say, this could be very important for research. But it goes a little bit further and says that even when people are doing research on the subtypes that they should be very clear about why they're doing it and that it's something that benefits the autism community instead of stigmatizing taking things away or um you know in some way making the uh somebody higher or lower than so I appreciate that, but it's really dense. But I do think that research has to be mindful because if we do a research study and you know we have uh, Dr. Stephen Shore be one of the research subjects, and then we have someone who is using... Uh, assistive technology, um, and they're in the same category, and we're we're not looking at the differences between these two and saying that it's equal and even, we really haven't been honest with ourselves or or fair to the individuals on the spectrum. Does that make sense?
3: That makes a lot of sense,
1: Shannon. So um, I thought it was an interesting read, spectrumnews.org, um, and you guys can check it out. I think that the fabulous Vince Redmond is with us. I I felt like I heard him come in the room. Uh, So uh, if possible, I'd like to bring him in with us. Vince is a licensed marriage and family therapist and an all around great guy. You guys have seen him featured in uh, the film uh, Recovered. Uh, which was many many moons ago when Vince was just a young man. But then, uh, then we get to because we see a group of four kids, and he was one of the therapists when they were very young. But then we get to see you a little bit later on in your story. He's still a young. He's still a young man, Chen. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's all relative, right? But I'm talking about right. <laughs> see him when he was like nine. How old were you then? I was very young.
2: Twenty-four. 24
1: 24. yeah
2: he's just a young pup (laughs) yeah Uh, it was was more than half of me ago let's put it that way well there
1: we go wow um but think about all the experience that vince has gained since then and went on to become a licensed marriage and family therapist so we count on him to join us here once a month and help us with the feelings and vince everybody's having feelings feelings this week uh, there's lots of feelings this week. We, you know, and and a lot of people have experienced through COVID loss and even before then. It's one of the things that we heard a lot this week is kiddos who were very involved at the Ed Asner family Center struggling. That we're seeing mm-hmm. some behaviors. We're definitely seeing outbursts of emotion. And we thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, in general, um, how we explain death, how we help ourselves. Oh,
2: it froze.
3: Shannon froze. I'll, okay, I'll pick see. up till we get her back then.
2: Okay. Uh, oh, well, we, Shannon.
3: Yeah, she'll be back. Um, anyway then, as, as Shannon was saying, we had a huge loss in the right. autism community and most of the parents and kids in the autism community knew at asner if only by name and reputation a lot of them knew him personally certainly those at the center knew him personally he was he had a way with our kids and reached out to them so many kids who knew him uh, are deeply saddened and affected by this loss so, we wanted to kind of have you talk a bit about that and give us some pointers and ways that we can help our kids process this.
2: Right. And, and as of us, right? I mean, I know Shannon and I were texting, you know, the, what was it, Sunday morning when the news came out, just, in, you know, we're just immediate hole in our heart with the loss of Ed. Um, I think, as Shannon was touching on earlier, in, when we were introing this, I think one of the things we don't want to misrepresent an increase in our children's behavior as an intentional act or the treatment's not working, they might be grieving. They might be experiencing similar emotions that we are feeling. There's a loss of someone that was consistent in their life. And this, obviously we're talking about a, a, a passing of a of an icon and a loved one in in our world, but this could be a loss of anyone within their world as well, right? Either at the Ed Asner Center or within their home. Obviously right now with COVID, there's been a lot of unexpected and increased deaths. But the first thing, like I said, is let's not misrepresent an increase in their behavior as something is not working or something that the children are doing it intentionally. Oftentimes they're grieving They're This is how they're representing that or expressing their loss. You know, obviously on the spectrum, there's many different levels, um, of their abilities to express loss. But oftentimes the first thing you see is an increase in noncompliance, an increase in aggression, an increase in, um, elopement increase in wanting to be alone. So if you really think about it, those are all very natural in very similar ways symptoms that we all feel as well we get angry we get upset we get we want to be alone we take time off from work right we elope. that's you know our version of eloping so being aware of that i think gives us a little bit more compassion gives us a little bit more at ease that this is okay it's okay that this child is going through this set of, you know, the set of emotions. So we want to empathize with that. We want to be there for them. We want to possibly ease some of the demands that are being placed on them at this time, right? Knowing the background, knowing what they may be experiencing, right? Using using our, our, our. Not only our therapeutic knowledge, but also using our, you know, empathetic knowledge as well to assist them in what they're going through, guide them what they're going through, right? But also accepting what they're going through because we're going through it as well. So the topography or the way it looks is going to be completely different from obviously the way we experience it. However, if you really look at a little bit deeper, it's not that different. We just, we just are able to guide it a little bit more socially appropriate than our kids. But that's okay. We can, we can identify it. If we can help the parents identify it, we can work with that. And then we can set up ways to properly reduce some of the demands, some of the uh, demands that are being asked for them or tasks that they're doing while giving them the opportunity to emote, giving them the opportunity to go through those emotions because they have to go through them just like you and I.
3: Vince, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we language death to our kids because I know for some of this, I mean, for some of our kids, this might be the first time they've heard of death, hearing about the passing of that asthma. A lot of our kids have experienced the loss of a pet, the loss of a grandparent, and it's a very confusing topic to a lot of our kids. What are some of the ways we can put into words uh, death and passing away?
2: I mean, a lot of different ways. I mean, again, there's a lot of variables, right? There's religious context. There's different cultural contexts, um, but there's also where they are along the spectrum and understanding the uh, the permanency of death, right? So some of that is developmental. Obviously the younger kids aren't gonna understand it as much as the older kids, but it's also a, across the spectrum. So again, a lot of variables. So. There's really no one size fits all but there's different ways to talk about it so talking about as they've moved on to you know if it's religious we can use some of the religious context that the families have if it's cultural work with the family with their cultural beliefs work with them on their cultural norms and we can try to explain and work with the children to understand it Um, there's lots of different ways to break it down There's some really good children's books that break it down. We can create social stories that talk about it, again, using those constructs that um, are, you know, the pillars of the family. Um, There's ways to, and and I think the other thing that just popped in my mind is it's not a one-time thing. This isn't something we sit down, we go over it and say, okay, we've covered it we move on, right? This is going to be an ongoing discussion and ongoing. So we're going to want to most likely use multiple modes for them to understand it. So maybe using some books, maybe using some social stories to make it a little bit more personable, working with the family on how to address it and how to um, continue to discuss it with their, you know, with, within their family um, ongoing, because we're not, you know, the the clinicians are only there for a very small period of time. Um, but also, it brings that that coordination and collaboration with their social norms, their religious norms, their cultural norms, so that we do it in a way that they feel comfortable doing it, and they'll be able to generalize that when we're not there. But also, we want to be very respectful for you know, for their laws.
3: Shannon, not to hog the questions here, but I have so many events. Um, no, go ahead. That's. Um, Can't this oftentimes, I know when my husband passed away, this occurred, can it often bring up issues of a child's fears about their own mortality, that they're afraid, oh my God, so-and-so died, am I going to die? How do we deal with that?
2: Sure, and it it also brings up the fear of mortality in the, the remaining parent or remaining grandparent sibling or what have you. I think that's very natural. Again, like we had said earlier, it's actually very, you know, very similar to feelings that we have. Now we'll be able to process that out that A doesn't necessarily equal B. However, it does bring up mortality. It does bring up that we're not invincible. It does bring up that things can happen unpredictably to where we don't have control over it. So I think listening and talking, you know, to our kids about, um you know the the unpredictability of it that this what you know whatever the the cause of death was it could be old age it could be an accident it could be an illness or what have you that we talk about all the the things that were done to protect save um you know assist with, with the, the, the loved one that passed. And then we, f- and then focus on the memories, focusing on the good things, focusing on what they were and how the other, the other sibling parents, grandparent is safe because they're not experiencing the same thing that the loved one experienced, right? They weren't a part of the accident or they don't have that disease or, or, or medical condition or that they weren't, uh, you know, they're, they're safe and healthy. They just saw the doctor, right? Kind of easing some of those unknown anxieties that come up depending on whatever the, the cause of death was.
1: Yeah. I got to say, Nancy, I don't know that I've ever said this to you, but um, you know, it was such a privilege to get to be with you um, and, and see the amazing job that you did parenting and dealing with those difficult moments Um, you know, I, I, you know, I watched you prep Wyatt to go in and say goodbye to his dad for the last time. And I thought I, you know, there's no book for that. Um, and, and you did an amazing job and, and I love what Vince said about, you know, it's not just one conversation, but you did an amazing job. And I, and I know that you know, when people are dealing with this, I, I would send them to you, Nancy, to be yeah, like, uh, yeah, the totally truth right. of the matter is, is that I think that, you know, you and Vince should write a book together about how to do this because um, I, you know, it's just, the thing that I always say is I don't understand it. I don't understand death. I don't understand all the feelings that come up with it. I don't understand what to do with it. And I'm, you know, 57 years old. What, you know how do we explain it to someone with limited verbal capability but but the thing that's interesting to me is i you know you said vince that we we have our ways of dealing with it and we process it the truth of the matter is i think a lot of times we just put it into something else we like get busy or we do something else or whatever whereas i think our kids actually go through the emotions. Um, And if we would just sit with them and go through the emotions with them, I think they sometimes do it in a healthier way. If we let them, am I completely up a tree?
2: I think, I think they do it quicker. Um, We will, we will emote. We, you're right. We get busy in the, in the process. We get busy in the, um, you know, the festivities or celebrations and, and procedures and all of that, you know, stuff. And then, we either go back to work or, you know, again, tending to the family and what's left and kind of, you know, picking everybody else up and, you know, but as soon as that goes back, we do feel the emotions and we will go through those emotions. It might be two weeks, three weeks, two months, three months, four months, five months later, but it will happen. But I think what you're hitting on Shannon is, is, is very important. The kids don't have those things to distract. They don't have those things to be a part of, they emote and feel it and they got nowhere to hide. They got nowhere to run. And they're, and I think you're right, they are going to emote and feel it and and grab the, you know, have those pains quicker, I think, than some of the adults do. Absolutely. I think that is a very good point.
3: Shannon, I want to thank thank you for those words of support, but I do want to say, you know, there was no manual for when my husband died five and a half years ago. And I didn't really, I was kind of stumbling in the dark. I did have a therapist come the day my husband passed away. He was in assisted care. And I had a therapist come work with Wyatt that day. And after his father passed, I had the therapist come to the house and talk to him. And he was affected deeply for many years. I have to... I'm thankful that now that time has passed. He's moved on. But for a long time, he would say, I want a new dad. And every night when he said his blessings for dinner, he would ask God for a new dad. And he would even go up to people, men, and say, "Will you be my new dad. So he had his own way of processing it. One of the things that helped us was encouraging him to look at pictures of his father and to feel the grief.
2: Sure. Yeah. And not for, you know, again, he there's kind of the, and I don't think anyone thinks this, but there's, there's a little bit of this when someone dies, they erase out of our lives or they erase out of our memories. And I think actually that can be more harmful than helpful. And like you said, Nancy, I think it's great. You know, look at pictures, talk about him, you know, go over stories, keep him alive in his memory, keep him alive as a part of his life could be very, very important, right? Now that doesn't mean that if something happened and you know and you moved on and met other people, he's still gonna be a part of their lives. He's still gonna be his father. He's always going to be that figure and that and that part of it. But you also bring up something about if if someone's in hospice or someone is is in assisted living, you have that you don't have to wait until someone passed to start the grieving. Yeah. to start the working on it with our children having them talk about it having even even having the loved one if they're capable of talking about it right and i think sometimes they everyone kind of keeps it hush hush and keeps it in corners until the, the the loved one passes but that's not that doesn't necessarily have to be the case and i think it's actually better to start processing it and talking about it before it happened if that even is affordable.
1: Yeah. And I, you might've, my internet went out and you might've said this, uh, while I was gone, Vince, but what I noticed too, is that especially in our kids, that there is this, as they're beginning to understand their new reality, there is often a, a, a regression of wanting to go back to something or someone or some place. Um, that they will perseverate oh. on because it is the last time that they felt safe and like everything was okay.
4: Yeah, um, you know true. that
1: that they they want to visit the place where they last were with the person. They want to watch the things that they watched when when everything felt okay. Um, mm-hmm. What are your feelings about that? Preparing the caregiver for that because sometimes I think that is heart-wrenching for the caregiver because it feels like progress was lost or that they are perpetually, you know, I think even honestly, why it's saying, you know, I want a new dad is a little bit of that because the last time I felt like everything was okay was when I had a mom and a dad. So let's get back to that because that, that felt really good. So how do caregivers deal with those when they ask those tough things or perseverate on that thing that, from five years ago, or when they were a little kid, or a place that you can't take them, how do you deal with that, Vince?
2: Well, we did touch a little bit on that, but I love how you phrase this, and this kind of this kind of you know uh, transitions off into some other things. Um, you bring up a very good point about a, a regression when when we're when all of us are faced with a traumatic or you know some type of. Uh, uh, significant event in our lives right we all tend to regress and it goes back to again understanding what our children are going through is no different than what we go through it's just looks different and might manifest itself different but in the end we do the same thing we all regress when we're felt with trauma we go back we have to it's our body's self-defense mechanisms to find a way for us to feel comfortable again because we can't feel comfortable in the chaos you, you can't so you go back to a regressive state to where you did feel comfortable. And I love how you paired that with Wyatt and Reed. That was That's absolutely, I think, true. It wasn't that he didn't feel emotions or he was trying to replace dad, that he didn't care for dad. He just wants to replace it. It's because he, last time he felt comfortable with, was with the Dyad family. And that's where everything was kind, it kind of made sense. And that's what he's looking for again. But we can all see how quickly that can be misunderstood by adults. Like, whoa, why is he, that's that's rude or that doesn't that's not appropriate or don't you feel well? It's it exhausting, right? It's
1: exhausting because, like, if it's something that you can't do for them and they keep asking for it, I I just see you know that it's hard on the caregiver. I don't want to speak for you, Nancy, but I know several other families that are going through this right now, and they're going through their grief, and then the child is you know, perseverating on that thing. And it's not something they can do
3: for them. It it was heartbreaking, Shannon. I would, every time he said, God, please bring me a new dad. It was like a knife in my heart. And I was thinking, what can I do for my son to help him get over this enormous loss? It was heartbreaking. And he did perseverate on it. And it was a delicate balance between acknowledging his feelings and not um, emphasizing them. So he would get stuck. Yeah.
2: And and this is where, and this is a perfect example of the difference between us knowing something and feeling something, right? We, if, if, if we, if we're not a hundred percent sure of why he's doing what he's doing, or at least confident, we know why he's asking our emotions take us places, you know, quite often we don't want to go. Right. We get angry or we get, you know, we, we, we get upset or we get resentful or we get, you know, we, we misinterpret what's going on. And this is why I was emphasizing. And I think in this situation too, is if we, if the caregivers can know ahead of time, this is why he's doing it. It helps navigate those emotions. It helps contain those emotions so that they don't go too crazy. Right. So, and again, going back to what we saying, there is no script, there is no playbook for this, but if we have the opportunity, you know, to, to talk about this as we're doing right now, parents then, when they experience it, can understand that this is a regressive state of them trying to go back to a state of comfort, not that they just, that they didn't love dad or didn't love mom, didn't love grandma, or that they want to replace them with someone, you know, that seems so callous, that seems so impersonal. It's not that at all. The kids aren't thinking that at all. It's clearly an emotive state, an autonomic state of our body trying to go back to homeostasis. We're trying to go back to what made us feel comfortable. And they only can remember certain, you know, either uh, situations or, you know, a a family uh, dynamic that made them feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we can think that while it's happening, right, it makes it, less personal right it's not okay it's not that he doesn't miss his grandma it's that he was most comfortable when grandma was here and he wants to feel comfortable again. that changes that changes our script right that changes our narrative on how we interpret things and I think that guides our emotions a lot more appropriately too
1: I think that's great advice Vince but what do we say to them When they're asking for the thing that we can't give them. I mean, sometimes it's something we can give them, but we don't think it's like, sometimes the kids will just regress and want to play with a toy that they had when they were younger. Right. Um, or go watch like, Barney again. Right. Or, yes. Exactly. Exactly that kind of thing. I have a friend that that lost a loved one and an adult, not on the spectrum, and sat and watched Friends for three weeks because oh, absolutely. Friends was on when when the, and they watched it with this person and it was very comforting to them. But when it's something that you can't give them, mm-hmm. um, what do you say to them?
2: You just empathize. And just, and, and again, kind of frame it the way that it is it's saying, you know, I miss the fan, I miss the family, the way it was too. I wish we had the family the same way it was too, right? You empathize and just kind of frame it just as we were saying, it, you know, his comfort is coming back to the family dynamic of, of mom and dad, right? So using Wyatt, Wyatt as our example, not that he wishes that dad was replaced, right? It's, it's not that it's, I, you know, I know, buddy, I I wish we could have this, you know, we could have him back and have a mom and dad too. Right. And just keep, you know, we just empathize, empathize and and frame it, empathize and frame it. But just that way over and over again, because obviously we can't redo that. I mean, right. You know, realistically, Nancy's not going to run out and go get married again just because,
1: Although Nancy's a catch, can I just say, some fabulous man, uh, rich man, I'm putting it out there to the universe. Some fabulous rich man should snap Nancy up, but he has to be super <laughs> and fabulous to be worthy.
2: Send send your resumes. <laughs> <Yes>. you <want. laughs>
1: yes. I'm a Yenta, happy to help uh, connect you if you if you know a wealthy, fabulous, compassionate, funny, you guys are funny and 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 like you know art and things like that and horses
3: send in resumes anything and else definitely wrong? and definitely somebody that's not intimidated by autism because I did briefly date someone a few years ago that was clearly not somebody that that was that person. So there we go. That's yeah. the number one criteria that they can accept my son Wyatt. Of course of course.
1: I just it, have to it, say it too, did... Nancy, to Nancy to digress that dog over your shoulder. Has has been so quiet and serene. I, I really thought it was a stuffed animal, and then I realized mm-hmm. I realized that dog is breathing. Okay. That's
3: that's Casey, our rescue
1: dog. Okay, wasn't because hey. she's a little bit uh, out of focus. So that's Casey. Okay, well she's being so quiet. Any case, um, all right, we're we're almost out of time here, so we we need to start to wind this up, but. I think, you know, if we all just take a breath and and listen to what Vince is saying about coming from a place of empathy and understanding and not viewing when they're expressing their emotions as some otherworldly thing, that it's closer to what, if we could just let go of society and what our obligations are, I think we would be behaving much more like them.
3: (laughs) Am I wrong?
2: Right. Right right? And, we, it, it, and sometimes I, I've actually, you know, recommended to people to just go hibernate for two weeks and, and let it out and get it out. Be with some loved ones and just let it go, right? You know, don't go back to work. You know, the don't don't plan the next this, that, or the other, or, or you got to contact these people and da-da-da, right? I mean, just let it be. Sometimes it's realistic, sometimes it's not. And I understand that. But you're right. I think... For me, the word is let yourself grieve. Don't try to avoid it. It is going to happen. It's going to catch you. If it's not now, it's going to be three months from now. It's going to happen. So don't try to put it off, right? I understand we need to keep our collectives for certain things, but it's okay to grieve. It's, it's natural, it's actually very healthy And it's going to happen either way. If you deny it or not, it's going to catch you. So So I would rather people do it healthy than not healthy.
3: that's, That's such an important point because it'll be six years in January that Reed passed away. And I have to tell you, it has been a process for me and for Wyatt. There were times in the beginning that I said to myself, how can I be such a mess? You know, when is this going to be over? When am I going to get through it? And it's been a process for me, and for Wyatt too. And and we have to remember that um, it is something that we need to go through, and we can't rush it. Absolutely.
1: There you go, That's Nancy. True. Maybe like if you don't mind, what what do you think has been the single best help for Wyatt? Like, is there one thing that you could point to and go, "Oh, that was just so helpful." I don't mean to put you on the spot.
3: No, I think the single most important thing was not um, denying his memory of his father and not brushing over that. I mean, it, as I said, it was a fine balance between moving on and not perseverating on it and saying, it's okay, Wyatt. I miss him, too. I know you miss your father. Let's go look at pictures of daddy
4: um,
3: and, and letting him have those feelings and letting him process them. That that was the single most important thing I think I did for him and and letting him have some therapy on the topic. Yeah, yeah I think good. that's amazing. I,
1: you know, I was raised in a family where we didn't have emotions. <laughs> I was That was not, if you were having emotions, somebody would like, stick food in your face immediately to mitigate the circumstances. And it didn't matter if you were like happy and celebrating, it would be like, let's cut the cake. Um, or if you were crying because something horrible had happened, it was like, here, have a piece of pot. Um, whatever it was, food was the thing that took, don't have an emotion, eat something instead. And, um, you know, as an adult, I've I've had to kind of deal with some of that upbringing. And, and there was a great episode of Frasier many, many years ago that was so enlightening to me, television, bringing it home, right? But Frazier had lost his job and and he was saying to everybody, it's fine, it's absolutely fine, don't worry about it. I, I, I'll i do something else, I've lost my job, don't worry about it. But then they would cut to two weeks later and Frasier was a little bit plumper. And, and and people were saying to him, you know, you you're sure you're okay? Are you having feelings? No, 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 no. And he's a psychologist, right? And he's like, no, 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 I'm, what are you talking about? As he's picking up a donut and sticking it in his face. And you know this continues and they keep showing until suddenly Fraser, <laughs> six months later and he's significantly bigger. And um, something happens and somebody says to him, don't you think maybe you're having feelings about losing your job? And he's like, no, no, I'm not having feelings as he picks food up and starts to jam it into his face. And his brother uh, who is also a psychologist says, no, we're not gonna eat, you're gonna have your feelings. And he's like, I don't want to have the feelings. Just give me the donut. And the dad says, for God's sake, give him the donut. But his brother says, no, we're actually going to talk about this. You don't have to eat the donut. You can, uh," and then of course, Frazier cries, 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 gets to the end of it and then is able to go get his job back and everything goes back to being normal. But for me as an adult watching that, I was like, oh, I think that's, that's been my upbringing And it was really helpful to me when I became a parent to remember that not to do that to my son, not when he's having an emotion that, you know, to be there, sit with him, let him cry it out, not to tell him, okay, that's enough. But, you know, when he was little saying, yes, you feel sad right now. It's okay to cry. Yes. Um, I think we all need to do that for ourselves and for our kids.
2: Agreed. Agreed. It ain't about a lot of things, right? And I mean, I know we're talking death, but we grieve for a lot of things. We grieve for the loss of our friends. We grieve when we weren't in school. We grieve, you know, there's a lot of grief going on right now and loss of some of our, you know, uh, our typicals, right? Our, our, the, the ways that things, um, you know, hopefully things will continue to, to move in the right direction. But grief comes in different packages and it comes at different times for different things. And it's something that, again, should not be, um, avoided. It, it cannot, but it should not be avoided as well as we need to, again, embrace it, accept it, making it a part of our, of, oh, my lights went off, um, part of our process as we continue to develop and grow, right? Especially right now with the pandemic, there's so much going on. Let's not overlook the amount of grief that's going on, right? And Absolutely. we can address that by accepting it yeah, it sucks that you can't go to the park and be with your friends. Um, let's talk about it. What do you miss about them? Who is your best friend? What can you do? Hey, let's look at what are we going to do when we can go back to the park, right? And we're starting to process and pull it out, pull it apart, get those emotions out of us, put it into you know into a plan, and then when the time is right, then we have we're ready to go. There we go. Thank yeah. you guys
1: Thanks.
2: for this incredible
1: conversation. We're, out, we're of time, totally right, out of time, right, Shannon? We are. We're totally out of time. But I thank you both for being here. And yeah, for I want to just people.
3: give a shout out. Vanessa Ridgway said, everyone, this is great information. Thank you, Vanessa. We hope that I know it's been illuminating for me and it's really helped me today.
1: There we go. All right. Sending you both a hug. We're um, not here on Monday because it's Labor Day, but we are doing a marathon showing all the clips uh, that went all the times that Ed has been at Asner has been on the show. So that'll be a fun weekend. You can tune in at any point and see some of the shows that we've done with Ed Asner. We will be back on Tuesday with Temple Grand and Tuesday and live on Wednesday with Dr. Grant, Shafer Ask Dr. Doreen. So until then, Give your kids a hug for me. And your shelves
3: a hug for me. And thank you, Vince. Thank you so much, Vince.
2: Have a great Labor Day, everybody.